Blog Talk Radio. Friday's Radio. It is the Friday before Christmas. Is there a song about that? I don't know. But here we are. It is Pro-Life Friday's Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong. I am on air today with my both of my co-hosts today, my wonderful co-hosts. Uh, Melissa, are you there today? I'm here. Everyone. Yay! And... <laughs> Let's go to it for two. Thomas, good afternoon to you. Hi, yo. Hey, how you doing? Hi, yo, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Kimber me tender. Uh, all right. <laughs> Welcome everybody to another wonderful broadcast. Uh, we have a we have just an awesome show today. It is shaped up to be. Uh, something more than I had planned because my two co-hosts got really busy involved and got us this most wonderful show ever. And I do mean that. Uh, and we're going to get to that just as soon as possible. We have on on schedule today, we have... Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I can't even say it out loud. Uh, we have, first of all, we have the doctor that has been in the news lately who has done just the miracle job that no, nobody ever thought that was ever medically possible, which was to save a baby from near certain death in abortion in an RU486 abortion, chemical abortion, and how he was able to save that baby's life uh, from, from being aborted. He's going to be on with us later today, and as well as the teacher who in the center of a controversy that just seems unbelievable, a teacher who had been fired from his job, from his teaching job from a high school, uh, for refusing to allow Planned Parenthood into his classroom. And uh, there seems to be, so, I, I know, that just that sounds like a complex issue, and we are going to get to it uh, later in the show. But right now, hey, Thomas, would you please deliver our scripture for us today to start us off with? Sure. Um, I just um, also said that uh, I have a short um, commentary about something I just saw you posted about it, and if you would let me comment on that. Um, You all know how we do it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you 
life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed may live. Father God, once again, we thank you for another opportunity to host Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Father, I just lift up to you my two other co-hosts and our phenomenal guests today, Lord God. Father God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that awareness is brought to this issue of what is really going on in the pro-life movement. We just ask you to bless the families of our guests and the hosts. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So it is, um, let, let me let me say this. We have just a packed, packed amount of information. And we wanted to talk about this issue last week. And I know, Melissa, you have something prepared for us. It is irony of ironies. Um, you know, I love, I love irony. I mean, I think it's, a, it's, the, it's the sixth form of humor. I don't know. But it is my one number one form of entertainment is to watch how something is is ironic, but not all of it is fun. Sometimes the uh, irony <laughs> is really tragic when we're talking about the subject that we usually talk about on this show. And we observed last week uh, the root. I believe it was the root had an article up about. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? That wasn't. That was from somebody else. It was from somebody else? But I I think The Root has... Uh, yeah, the online magazine, The Root, had, had published this article, and it was titled, How Black Women Are Saving Planned Parenthood. And at the time, I'm like, oh, come on, really? And you read this article, and they can name maybe three or four names of black celebrities. And I know that this article is completely name-dropping for effect, to make it sound like it's a bigger deal than it is. So Melissa has generously offered to give her commentary, her black woman commentary on that, because uh, it was only appropriate that <laughs> she should take this on. Um so take it away. Uh, let us know what you thought about that. Um, tell us, tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit more about what the article said in the first place. Yeah, um, the article, as you pointed out, was posted on the Roots website. And um, for those who don't know, the Root is um, basically a um, it's a media, social media type uh, site um, dealing with issues concerning the black community. And one of their guest contributors did write this very stunning article entitled How Black Women Are Saving Planned Parenthood. Um, basically, a number of black women celebrities um, had sort of a roundtable uh, event with Cecil Richards, um, the president of Planned Parenthood, and basically vowed their support to the organization and vowed their support to um, promote the organization within the black community. And obviously, um, as you point out, Alicia, this is uh, probably the irony of ironies, um, as black women are the ones who are disproportionately negatively affected by abortion. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it, it's really 
it's job you know it's job dropping to think that they would completely that they would um, fight for a cause um, that is detrimental to our own community. Um, but I just want to read a few things from the article that really jumped out at me, um, and we'll post it also in the chat room so that you can go back and refer it refer to it as well. Um, but some of those who were in attendance were Star Jones, um, Dr. Holly Phillips, um, BT President Deborah Lee. We know BT has um, definitely uh, not <laughs> helped uh, things within the, the black relations uh, yeah, about for a long time. Um, but there were a number of different women. Gabrielle Union is involved, um, Nia Long, uh, who are their famous actresses. And, you know, obviously when we hear stories from Hollywood, our main um, our main uh, reaction is just to, you know, the, to, to dismiss it as these are just, uh, you know, people who are out of touch. And uh, typically when they make political statements or social um, uh, uh, statements regarding social issues, typically they are out in left field. And this is definitely a prime example um, a star Jones, what she this was her comment, what she told the root, um, because they did a national interview with her, she feels that women's health is one of her primary issues. She works hard to make sure that women are aware of ownership of their own body. And I see everything Planned Parenthood does as connected to women's health. Now the thing that jumped out to me was the owner did you guys hear that? The ownership. This is about ownership of our bodies, right? And that that just stopped me dead in my tracks. What other issue um, in our country has the word ownership been used as a justification to mistreat another group of human beings? Interesting choice of words. Interesting choice say, of words. Right. I I would say that was a that makes a direct reference back to the slavery days. I mean, absolutely. All right, remember, my slave, I can do what I want. If I want to treat them badly, if I want to beat them, if I want to not pay them, if, if I, you know, want to hurt them and, and have them work 20 hours a day, if I want to rape them, if I want to sell them, it's okay because they, they belong to me. I have ownership of them. Right. And this is the same language, ironically, that we are hearing from black women who were completely um, uh, devastated and, and um, just, just tragically affected by the slavery movement. So you just see this kind of shift um, in terms of um, how, where we've come, from where we've come to where we are now, a complete shift, a complete paradigm shift. And that's not surprising, as typically those who are oppressed become oppressors themselves. And we see this over and over throughout history. Um, those who um, have had to fight and for their own dignity turn around and they commit the same atrocities to others, maybe in a different context, but they, they, um, that it's just something that we see throughout history, and it's no different here. Um, black, black, black people were considered as property. They were considered as not human, and they were treated horribly because of that. And 
we see the same thing happening to our children in the womb. They are considered as property. Um, this is my body, and they're not human, and so therefore they can be disposed of. And so that really stood out to me um, from the article. Um, there were a few other things. Letitia, did you have anything else to add there? Um, well, what I had thought about it was that this, what struck me about this article the most is how, how forced it seems. I mean, how black, it was titled, How Black Women Are Saving Planned Parenthood. Are they really saving it? And are black women really the ones saving it? Um, to me, this is, this is kind of untrue on two counts. And then your, your point to, to point out the language they're using is kind of this hail back to slavery. And let's, let's, you know, let's use this language of slavery to explain what we're doing. And yeah, that'll be great. Uh, not, is, is, maybe a third strike against it because, first of all, black women are, like as you pointed out, uh, the ones to suffer the most from the, from the negative effects of abortion. And mm -hmm. not only are black women physically suffering, physically, emotionally, psychologically suffering from the effects of abortion. Absolutely. They are the, the black community as a whole is suffering from a very lack of uh, of lacking lacking of popu I mean I'm sorry what am I trying to say <laughs> so many words so little time the population is is negatively impacted through abortion abortion kills more black members uh, of the black community than heart disease diabetes accidents draw everything combined Everything right. that commonly afflicts the black community today, that, that is sociologically and economically uh, something that the black community suffers, I guess, disproportionately to the other ethnic groups in America. Right. Abortion by far surpasses all of them put together. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about um, the disparity of incarceration rates between African Americans, black people, versus all the other minority groups, People jump up and down and say there has to be some kind of uh, racism going on. I'm not going to dispute that here right now. But if they, have, if they want to make a case that there is some kind of racial discrimination going on, sending more black people to prison than any other minority, other ethnic group, actually, uh, then why can't we say the same thing about abortion? In fact, on our web. Our, on our Facebook page, we've had people say, hey, you know what, Planned Parenthood is not, you know, they're not forcing anybody to have an abortion, and, you know, least of all black people. Uh, and I, how many people have we had on this program alone, let alone all the other testimonies that have come out in recent months and years about women who have said, I mean, was absolutely forced to have an abortion. Can you imagine, you cannot imagine the pressure, the coercion, and having somebody physically drive you to the abortion clinic, push you in the door, and then tell you as vulnerable in the vulnerable state you are in as a, as a woman who is pregnant, doesn't know what to do, to be told over and over again the only thing that ha needs to happen to you right here, right now, is that you must have an abortion. That's not forced. I don't know what is. You know, right. I, nobody decides to force anything on anybody um, it, at, the, at the barrel of a gun if they don't need to. 
If they can achieve it through other means, they will. If they can lie to you, if they can trick you, if they can um, get you into and give you a false sense of assurance to do something like this, even though it's not what you want, it is forced. It is coerced. Mm-hmm. And so I look at this. I look at this article and say it is is so ridiculous because black the black community has suffered so much at the hands of Planned Parenthood. I mean, notwithstanding the fact that Planned Parenthood was founded on the idea that black people are an inferior type of race, they're inherently stupid and must be, must, the population must be kept low in order for human civilization to advance. And if we turn around and say, oh, well, look at all these celebrities that, that support Planned Parenthood. Well, I can't vouch for the judgment of celebrities. You really can get celebrities to endorse all kinds of things if you pay them money, if you lie to them, if you do all kinds of things. Because why they're not checking their sources? They're not. Right. They're not. They're, so they're very uh, They live in a bubble right. that is unrealistic. You know, it's interesting as you brought up the population control, there's actually a quote in the article um, uh, that goes back to the Black Power Movement in, in the 60s. Um, and they actually, a part of the Black Power Movement in the 60s, um, and, and if you guys know, it was, uh, the Black Power Movement was more of a militant reaction to the Jim Crow laws and the oppression um, during the Civil Rights era. But the uh, a, a motivating factor um, and a, a, stri- a strategy that they employed was actually um, uh, popul- populating, reproducing. They felt that um, uh, birth control um, was actually black genocide um, and that the, the key to their own uh, political growth and influence in the culture was to reproduce. Mm-hmm. So, again, this was in the 60s, okay? And we know what happened um, during this era is um, there was a, um, there were a lot of promises made to the black community um, via the Democratic Party, and a lot of our morals and our views did shift during that time frame. Um, but isn't it just ironic that that was a battle cry of of the movement was to re, to, to populate, to reproduce, and yet here we see um, support for Planned Parenthood, who is uh, has the completely opposite agenda. Um, when we see half of all black women now having abortions, half of all black pregnancies in an abortion, it just really mm-hmm. comes to show how far we have come as a community. Um, in, in, in those times, um, in, in that, during the Civil Rights Movement, and uh, the black women were the patriarchs of the family. They were the protectors of the home. They were not mm-hmm. violent. They were not murderers of their own, of their own children. They... They, they were very, uh, it, it, we just see a completely different, we see a shift, um, and we are advocating this ourselves now. And Planned Parenthood has successfully run a propaganda ad, and we, we see this as liberating ourselves. Uh, my choice, my body, you know, I can do what I want. Right. This is part of, you know, the American, uh, this is the American way, right, um, to be free from, uh, the oppression of the past to now be able to make this choice to take my own child. Um, is that right. really liberating? <laughs> is that really what right. our, our, our ancestors were fighting for? 
for us to kill ourselves, basically, to eliminate ourselves. Right. I, I totally agree. It's the let's not forget, I mean, what what black women these 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 few black women that are supposedly coming out listen look at what they're trying to emphasize about Planned Parenthood. Over mm-hmm. the real the the real Planned Parenthood, the stated mm-hmm. founding purpose of Planned Parenthood. Um, you know, all this bodily rights and ownership aside, I mean, that by itself is problematic. But what they're ignoring is the greater problem that Planned Parenthood's, Planned Parenthood's racist undertones have not been scrubbed away. Try as they might, as hard as they might, they keep coming out with uh, the ads. It's kind of like how we're going to talk about Obamacare early, later on. And it is, it's, it's like the truth just keeps leaking out even though they don't want it to. Uh, which is, they just came out with an ad. Um, not just they came out with the ad. This was a few years ago, and it was caught early. And you're you're not going to find this on the internet anymore because it has been thoroughly scrubbed. But I had I have seen one of their ads. This is Planned Parenthood's call it directed. This is directed to, toward college students uh, about some of the things Planned Parenthood likes to talk about, which is. Um, the freedom of sexual expression, no matter what, you know, I mean, that's kind of their modern, their their current motto is no matter what, you know, fill in the blank. Um, we say abortion, no matter what, that fits just as well. But anyway, mm-hmm. this ad they ran a few years ago um, ended with um, how they they perceived they perceived black the black person. And you could you could say I don't know if that's really what they're saying, and really it is ambiguous. But their choice of uh, scenery was something that somebody had to think about. Now, what they showed in this advertisement was there's this guy, college-age-looking guy, talking to, about Planned Parenthood and all the wonderful things that Planned Parenthood advocates, all the wonderful sexual pleasure that that Planned Parenthood says, go ahead, have fun. And in the meantime, off camera, you get the sense there is somebody uh, right in front of him giving him oral sex. And it's not on camera, and you know this is happening because right at the end, up jumps a black guy, and I'm sorry to gross everybody out, but he wipes his mouth. Uh. And this... I kid you not, this is a Planned Parenthood ad. It was picked up by, I believe it might have been American Family uh, Association, and they they might have archived it because it's been scrubbed from Planned Parenthood. And they said, look, what is the purpose of this ad? Why did they decide to put the black guy down on the floor? And... Hmm. Um, this comes at the end of understanding Planned Parenthood's stated purpose when it was founded, which has never been repudiated. They've never repudiated that. They've never re- erased that from their founding documents. They've never come out and said, yeah, Margaret Sanger did speak at the KKK and uh, half a dozen times at least. And uh, they were had a very nice relationship. They've never repudiated that. Right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that connection still with her and what, and and we see the agenda continuing um, today. Um, uh, what, one of the last things in the article that I did want to share 
um, was regarding their the view that um, abortion is not only a good thing for the black community and a a helpful thing, but something that is needed. It's something that we really need. Um, uh, one of the remarks made here was that the access to contraception is one of the key predicators for escaping poverty. Um, and laws that limit contraception um, access hurt poor women more um, and mostly black women um, who have the highest rates of unplanned pregnancies of any community. So let's, let's look at this. What, what they're saying is that we need, we need these resources to escape poverty. And I ask you, in the, in, in the, the years since, since Roe versus Wade, these 40 years, how has the economic condition of black America changed? It's deteriorated, actually. Um, it has deteriorated drastically. So that, that, is, um, that has no bearing on, on poverty. Um, abortion does not eliminate poverty. Um, I saw this quote uh, recently. It says, abortion doesn't eliminate poverty, but it just eliminates the poor. Because we're dealing right. with people here. We're not dealing with this, yes. um, this translucent concept of poverty. We're dealing with people. So you're eliminating people to try to solve an, a social ill. And it doesn't, you, you can't, you cannot do that. It's impossible. We have to look at the real root of the problems. And basically what abortion has done is it has liberated men from responsibilities to their families. And this is what creates poverty. This is lack of, of, of married family units that are supporting each other uh, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. That's what leads to this poverty situation that we have in our country. It is not the lack, uh, lack of access to abortion or the lack of access to contraception. Um, I think that everyone knows how to use contraception. Um, we're not, we're, you know, we're not, that's one of the things that they teach you now off the bat and, you know, instead it, you know. Unfortunately, but right. and, and they're giving away free condoms and everything. I mean, kids can pick them I up know. at their school nurse's office. Right. This is again. This is another propaganda tool. And you know, another interesting thing. Um, one of the effects of abortion is the lack or the um, the inability to commit to long term relationships after abortion because of the um, psychological um, pain uh, and emotional distress. It makes relationships and trusting hard. So therefore, if, if black women are being encouraged to have abortions and to seek the services of right. Planned Parenthood, this affects right. some of the long-term terms of, of forming long-lasting relationships and marriages where they can produce children in a loving marriage, you know, loving environment where the, with a mother and a father who are married. So there's all these – abortion is, is adding to the problem. It is not solving anything here. It is not dealing with the root of the issue. Right, right. And so we've had so many. Right. We have had so many people come on this show saying their lives um, were turned completely upside down after having an abortion. The promises mm -hmm. that people made to them about abortion were completely 100% false. It was completely backwards. I mean, we've had, you know, Connie Eller has been living with her pain for, for decades. 
you know, thank God she has found forgiveness in Christ. She has been living, you know, the spirit-filled life for for many, many, many years now. But those years following her abortion, everything that they told her was a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, her mm-hmm. her life was supposed to get better. Her she was supposed to get on with things. She was supposed to make up with her boyfriend. Things were going to be fine. She was going to to do this, that, and the other thing. Everything was going to be fine because. She would have had an abortion. She had an abortion, and everything turned out exactly the opposite. And you, you know, this is something. This is this is the this is the lie of the left. It is not just a lie. This is this is completely blinding people to the danger that lies in front of them when from from women getting abortions. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. As having this type of, you know, invasive, let's just call it, you know, in a clinical sense, invasive surgical procedure, which is completely voluntary. You know, there's no medical necessity that that precedes most, most if not almost all abortions. There's no such thing as, as something that doesn't go wrong. There's no such thing as, as not having problems. And yet women who receive abortions, get less care than they would have if they complained of a headache and went to, um, you know, their school nurse in high school. They get less care than that. Mm. And that's the reality of it. If they have, if abortion clinics had nothing to hide, wouldn't they be much more open about the care they give? But they're not. And so women are rushed in and rushed out like like one of our guests said, like sheep to slaughter. Mm-hmm. They're they're cycled in like it's a meat market, and they're treated like little cash cows. I am, you know, this is it's terrible how they're treated, and then they're expected right. never to come back for you know or have problems, or if they have problems, never to seek proper help. You know, keep it up, swept under the rug. Let's keep this as quiet as possible. And this is mm-hmm. how black people are treated. And, you know, I, we have a guest, another guest I, I suspect is from what Thomas has told me, is going to tell us that the treatment that women receive is changes based on the color of their skin. And well, we know this. We, we know with this. the Gosnell case as well, how yes. Kermit Gosnell, he, he, he isolated black patients from the other populations at his, right. his house of um, this is not, you know, these are not isolated incidences, but it's like you're, you're saying, abortion is devastating. It is it is absolutely in every way, emotionally, physically, psychologically, it is devastating. So to promote this to a group of people that you claim to care about and who you claim to, to, to be helping and advocating for, it, just, it makes me sick to my stomach personally. I'm not that I ever supported these people in, in any fashion because, you know, I don't. And, but if I did, I would I would stop now, because this is um, not beneficial in any way. It's not humane. It's it is not helping our community, which is already torn apart um, and felt by so many different uh, issues and um, socioeconomic factors. This is just adding grease to the fire, um, and more right. people are hurting. And to them, this is just some abstract. Um, you know, fighting for health care and fighting for poor people and not looking at what the effects really are because they don't have to deal with it. They're in Hollywood. You know, they're, right. they're kind of living. 
It's a lie. It's a complete lie anyway. It's. I mean, just call it, it for what it is. It is a lie. We don't care. They are not concerned at all about the plight of poor black women. They are not. It's the evidence of 40 years of abuse at the hands of abortion clinics and abortionists, Planned Parenthood and others, is completely clear. I mean, we have 40 years of history, 41 next month, to show that black women, black poor women, poor women in general, are not better off. So this is, this is a complete and utter lie. If they wanted to help women, women would be helped. But I don't, we don't see it. We don't see it. Right. Yeah, so that is my commentary. Okay, so how do, how do black women, so my question for you, how do black women really feel about Planned Parenthood? <laughs> I can't speak for all of them, but I can tell you how I feel about them. Um, I feel like they're an enemy. I feel like they are, yeah, they're absolute enemy to our community. And um, if we really want to be empowered, we need to educate ourselves. And we need to stop, you know, as I look back through history, we look at things like the Tuskegee Project and the Negro Project and um, the forced sterilizations and all these things that have, and atrocities that have been committed against the black community, and they've willingly gone along with it. Um, I mean, sometimes they didn't have all the facts, but I'm saying that we need to start educating ourselves. We are walking into the lion's den. We are trusting the wrong people. We are not thinking um, for ourselves. We're, you know, if you if you go against the grain, I mean, I, as a as a black pro life activist, going against the grain of a, of a, a culture um, that is completely. Tells you a community that tells you that you have to be a liberal, you have to be a Democrat, you have to be all these things in order to be authentically black. Um, I'm telling people that we need to think for ourselves, and we um, we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna get ahead. We're not gonna get out of this hole that we're in by continuing these same detrimental um, things that, that we've been doing for so long, and this ideology that we've accepted in our community. I think that. You know, if, if Star Jones and um, Neil Long and these celebrities really want to make a positive impact and really want to make a difference in our community, um, they really need to encourage people to think and to look through the issues and not just promote this propaganda that people have already swallowed. And, and that hasn't worked, like you said, that has hurt us. Um, so right. that's, that's just commentary. Um, I, think, I think this is all about publicity, personally. I think this is about, um, uh, you know, getting in good with Cecilia Richards and uh, with Cecilia Richards ah. and, and you know, okay. There's there's more here, I think, than what than what right. the eye. Okay, so. we'll be right back after the end after the uh, the side of this break. Uh, we'll be right back for Life Fridays Radio. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, the number is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. Be right back. Oxen lamb 
Live Fridays Radio. Uh, you know the holidays are coming up. In fact, Christmas is just five days away. And if you still need to find a special present for somebody, I highly recommend the lady that has been helping me out with some of my gift-giving needs and just giving me great deals. She is my Avon, Avon representative. And the beauty of it is, I don't even live in the same state as her. Stacy Lynn Harp, who operates the Active Christian Media site as well at StacyLynnHarp.com, will be happy to help you um, with anything. She does give you that personal touch through a phone call. She was so quick to call me when I had uh, an issue with something that I bought, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do. She found the answer. She helped me out greatly. Um, she called me right away on the phone. I mean, I didn't even ask her to call me, and she called me, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really helpful um, that you can call me and ask, answer my questions. And if you are looking for great service, just honest-to-goodness people to work with, and you need a, an Avon representative, you know, they sell more than just makeup, call my friend Stacy Lynn Hart. You can find her on her website, www.stacylynnharp.com. And uh, we are back with another segment of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Again, our phone lines are open if you'd like to call us. The number is 760-542-3907. And uh, coming off the idea that Planned Parenthood uh, is being saved somehow by black women of note, I guess, is uh, for, for, for me, I think that's kind of laughable. I gave my reasons. But the, but the one thing that stood out to me is Planned Parenthood is suffering a lot. I mean, why does Planned Parenthood need saving, after all, uh, unless they're in some kind of trouble? And I do think they are. I think the reputation has been greatly tainted as not just a – and not just an abortion clinic. Uh, they've been trying to paint themselves as a women's health clinic, and I think what's come through more than anything is it's a sex and abortion clinic is what they are, um, because that seems to be all they talk about. Plus, all this federal money that they have received, uh, they have received over 300, I think it was 370 million dollars uh, in 2011 in federal taxpayer money. And so they claim that abortion is only 3% of what they do. Well, with that kind of money bankrolling their operations, they can afford then, if abortion is not a big deal, they can afford to give away abortions for free, except they don't. And when they are told they can't do as many abortions as they want to, suddenly they go out of business. Hmm... Think about that. Now think about that. Our next guest um, has had experience 
with abortion, but on from the other side. He has been one that has been in the news lately, has having saved a mother and her child from the effects of RU486 right in the middle of the procedure, uh, middle of the chemical abortion, and has saved a little baby from near certain death. I want to welcome onto this program um, Dr. Matt Harrison and to share a story. And Melissa, I know this is this has been on your heart, and this has been something that you wanted to talk about a lot too. So I'm going to let you take this interview and introduce our guest a little bit more and have him on the line. Welcome to the show, Dr. Harrison. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, Dr. Harrison, to those um, who may uh, not be aware of um, of him and how he's been in the news lately, um, but Leticia shared about the successful RU486 reversal, which we'll talk about um, with him. Um, and Dr. Harrison, you're on the medical advisory team with Priest for Life, is that right? Yes, that's correct, Melissa. Okay. And on a personal note, um, I, I know Dr. Harrison and his family, and they're just awesome people. And um, not only is, has he helped us in a practical way by seeing women who choose life for their babies for years for free at his practice in delivering their babies, and um, uh, but he has um, he's also actively on the sidewalk with us um, trying to save babies, and so. Um, for that, I, I greatly admire you and um, am just very appreciative for you and your family. Well, it's an honor to be on your show, and uh, I really appreciate, I'd like to publicly say, thank you so much for everything you do for all the mamas and babies in the pro-life community in the area of Charlotte. Oh, thank you, Dr. Harrison. That means a lot. So let's, um, well, let's, before we even get to this whole, um, th- this, uh, story about the reversal of, of the abortion drug. Tell us about how you really got involved in this movement and the pro-life movement and why that burden was there um, for you to help women um, in these crisis situations. Well, I, I was uh, raised in a Christian family, uh, raised in a pro-life family all through the 70s. And uh, even in the year of uh, uh, when Ro- Roe versus Wade was uh, passed, uh, I lost a sister uh, at um, at birth, and my wife, my mother at the time was mourning uh, the loss of my sister. And at the same time, the other people in the hospital uh, were doing abortions, and so uh, we had a funeral in the hospital for my sister. And you know, in in the operating rooms next door, they were doing abortions, uh, and so it, it was really a very a powerful uh, pro-life message to me and to many people uh, that were there and to my whole family. So uh, I think that's what kicked me off in that direction. And then as I went to medical school, I saw the problems that abortion caused, the problems that contraception caused. Uh, I remember that we were supposed to go down to the Planned Parenthood clinic to do uh, uh, to learn how to do uh, exams on four women. Uh, that were going to have be examined by 180 medical students, and there were four of us that uh, refused to do it uh, just because we thought it was barbaric uh, to to do that to to those women, and uh, it just reinforced uh, how how much disdain I really have for Planned Parenthood as any type of a healthcare provider for women. Uh, they seem to 
just uh, abuse them at every turn that they possibly can. So uh, when I did graduate from medical school, I went to residency, uh, family practice residency, uh, did OB, inpatient, outpatient, and really just uh, grew stronger in my pro-life commitment. And then when I was looking for a practice, uh, I found a practice in Concord, just north of Charlotte, uh, with Dr. Danny Holland. He had a natural family planning uh, only practice uh, that didn't prescribe birth control, did not refer for abortions or sterilizations or, or any of those types of things. But he was also mm-hmm. uh, specially certified in NAPRO technology, which is a fertility um, type of technology using progesterone to help naturally uh, help women with fertility problems in a mm-hmm. morally acceptable way. So uh, when I got into that clinic, uh, everything really blossomed uh, uh, my next-door neighbor knew Flip Benham. Uh, most, mm-hmm. most of your uh, listeners might know him, and he was one who really kind of cemented uh, my commitment to the pro-life movement. And then when Father Frank Pavone came into town for an Operation Save America event, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, going around with him for a week, taking him to different talks, and I just heard his talks over and over again, and it really moved uh myself and my family to become more involved in the movement. Mm. Well, like I said, we are thankful that you are. And, you know, although just having that resource developed, that when we were able to offer that resource to women, that, you know, for, to be seen at your practice was just, I mean, that a lot of a lot of, of, of babies were saved because of that. And that's so, um, such a blessing um, to be a part of that. Um, so let's, let me ask you this too. Um, in in terms of the medical community, is there this pressure to um, advocate to be an abortion or to be pro-abortion in a sense, or do you find that do you find that there's a movement towards more pro-life doctors, or how do you kind of see it in general? Certainly, in my training, we were trained to offer abortion uh, pretty much to anybody who came in pregnant. Uh, if they came in pregnant, we were trained to say do you want to keep your pregnancy or do you want to terminate and uh, leave it very open to the patient to decide uh, about uh, that type of thing. And, um, and so there, there was a, a, a push for that. I remember having debates with uh, folks in my medical school class and, who said that every doctor should be forced to provide abortions. Uh, if not, they were uh, denying health care to their patients. And so, you know, we got into a lot of discussions about, you know, what rights doctors have uh, about practicing, you know, morally acceptable medicine. And right. so, um, but I think it has changed uh, over the years. I think that if you look at the abortion industry now, the vast majority of, of physicians who are doing abortions are, are people who have not been able to hold jobs at other places, who have been reprimanded or lost their licenses in other states who have really bad uh, records as far as uh, health care goes. And then uh, a lot a lot of... You know, you know what that sounds like to me? Or, I'm that? sorry to interrupt, but um, you sure. know what kind of doctor that sounds like to me? What kind of doctor typically uh, don't cut it in the regular medical field? They become mafia doctors. <laughs> They became, they I'm sorry, I missed doctors, that. They became, 
they become mafia doctors. They become doctors to those who want to avoid having uh, any kind of medical records taken of them. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly they're protected by the abortion industry. A lot of records are never kept or are destroyed. I've had problems getting medical records from abortion clinics, uh, mm-hmm. and even oh, when yeah. they're at, they're requested by my patients who went to them for an abortion, they'll deny uh, sending out their records the vast majority of the time. Wow. Now, I have, really a, I have a question about um, going back to medical schools. Has there been, I mean, I guess, is there a culture of promoting abortion in medical schools nowadays? I mean, I, I really can't, I, not having been in, in medical school or knowing the culture of the students and the instructors there, how is abortion perceived um, and taught about in medical school? Well, most most people, most professors that are physicians in medical school are still part of, acad- uh, part of academia. And so they tend to be more liberal. That's not that's kind of a broad brush, but uh, most mm-hmm. of them do somewhat promote it. Uh, a lot of the OBGYNs that I was trained by uh, promote it, and some of that uh, comes with a bitterness, which I think that they grew to uh, develop through residency when they're up 36 hours delivering yet another baby to a 16-year-old. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it's ingrained in them that they want uh, to abort babies uh, that uh, are going to be born into or born to irresponsible uh, people and that they also want to put everyone on Depo-Provera or tattoos or or whatever they can to to Mm -hmm. curb the their fertility. Mm. Now, there, had, at the same time, though, I, I had a professor who was extremely pro-life. I didn't really find out about it until about uh, 15 years after medical school when I had written some articles and he responded with some of those articles uh, saying that you know, how pro-life he was, and, and he, had some, he and I had a good discussion afterwards. He actually delivered uh, one of my children, my first child, Awesome. Well, let's let's get to thank you for for sharing that because um I know a lot of us you know not have an inside uh, knowledge about the medical building as we're choosing doctors and these sort of things mm-hmm. we, these are things we need to keep in mind and that we need to think about um and, and should try to find doctors whose values and morals do line up with our own um. I, I did want to talk about the the reversal of the RU486 starter Harrison, and I know um, that you told the story uh, numerous times, <laughs> but I would love for you just to share with our audience about this experience, um, how it happened, um, and you know anything leading up to uh, the reversal and how things how things went. Sure. Well, I'll preface this with saying that. Uh, the patient, Ashley, has given me permission many times and, uh, to tell her story, and she's going to be telling it herself uh, when she comes to the March for Life this year in Washington, D.C., uh, so I'm really excited about that, and actually she has several interviews coming up uh, about this, and so one thing that's very exciting about that is that we're not only giving a voice to uh, the unborn children, but we're also 
uh, giving a voice to these women who have been victimized by the abortion industry and also by uh, men in their lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, Ashley uh, contacted me through a crisis pregnancy center. She, uh, you know, she was 20 years old, young and in Mm -hmm. love, and thought that she was going to stay with her boyfriend forever. Uh, He had promised that if if she were ever to become pregnant that he would take care of her and take care of the baby. And so it really kind of, uh, kind of pressured her to, you know, become more intimate in their relationships. And uh, but when she found out she was pregnant, she went to her boyfriend, you know, feeling that he would support her, and he immediately said, "Get an abortion." And she just felt like she had been punched in the gut. You know, he, mm. he said, uh, "You know, if you don't get an abortion, then your parents are going to kick you out. You'll never go, get finished with school. You'll never go to nursing school." This will be the worst thing for you, and I'm certainly not going to take care of a baby that I'm not ready for. And so right. she gave, he gave right. her, like, $250 to go for an abortion. He didn't even take off work to go with her uh, to get this abortion. She was about seven and a half weeks pregnant. And so she went to the abortion clinic in downtown Charlotte, and uh, the physician assistant there gave her RU46, which is uh, a pill that is uh, designed to mimic progesterone. And so mm-hmm. when, it, when it gets into the body, it blocks progesterone scepter, receptors, and so it tricks the body into thinking that there's a healthy hormone there to support pregnancy. And so she took the, uh, pro- the progesterone blocker, and she immediately regretted it. She went in, when she went in, they have to verify the ult- by ultrasound the age of the baby, and so they did that, but they didn't let her see the baby. They didn't let her see the heartbeat. Uh, but fortunately, she, this was one of the clinics that actually did give me the records. And the records clearly show that she was seven and a half weeks pregnant, that they saw a heartbeat, and that they gave her the, the medication. So the medication they gave her uh, is, is very lethal. 95 to 98% of the time kills babies right away. Um, and uh, what they normally do is give the medication, and then two days later, the woman inserts some Phytotech tablets, which are a tablet that produces labor contractions. And so the mm-hmm. baby has died inside of her, and then she has contractions at home, and she essentially has uh, an abortion at home. And so uh, what's sad about this is that women do this you know, by themselves alone, uh, right. all the time, all over the country. And um, if they don't do it, they're pressured by family, they're pressured by boyfriends or husbands or whoever, and uh, they're really victimized by the industry. So she immediately regretted it. She asked, actually asked the physician assistant, what if I change my mind? I, I want to keep the baby. And the physician assistant said, it's too late. Uh, you know, if you decide to uh, keep this baby, it's going to be deformed. It's going to be uh, mentally slow uh, if it survives at all. Uh, and uh, you could die from having the baby. Just all types of sorts of scare tactics. And I uh, mm-hmm. said, you know, I, you better take the pills and I better, you know, you better uh, come back in two weeks and, and make sure that this abortion is complete. So mm-hmm. she went home just crushed. She immediately regretted it. Uh, fortunately, she went into the arms of her mother, who is a good Christian, godly woman, and her mother, instead of scolding her, instead of kicking her out, 
did just what a Christian mom should do and said, hey, I love you. I love my grandchild, and I'm going to do whatever I can to save you and to save this baby. And I just thought that was a beautiful testament to her mother, uh, who really was the trigger that, uh, that sent this whole thing into motion. So they called the Crisis Pregnancy Center, who then called me, uh, the Fairs County uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center. And I got on the phone. Uh, one of my secretaries just said, you know, that they're on the phone. And I had never been faced with this situation before. And so I just said, send her over. Um, and we'll just uh, see what we can do. So she came over, and, of course, she was very tearful, very upset, didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I talked with her and just really felt uh, just felt so sorry for her because she had been so taken advantage of by, by the industry and by, by her boyfriend. And so uh, I said, just excuse me for a minute. Let me step out, and I need to pray about this and think about it. So I went to my office. I, I literally prayed. I um, uh, got into some books and started thinking about just basic receptor biology uh, and how the medication works. And like I said, it, it's like a, it's like a key that fits into a lock but doesn't turn the lock. And so uh-huh. um, uh, in, in our office, we have progesterone injectable uh, uh, medication, and we'd use that for fertility treatments. And so mm-hmm. uh, I talked to her about it. I told her this was risky. This, this had never been done before. Uh, and she said, I don't care. I want to do whatever I can to save my baby. And so we gave her a, a progesterone shot and uh, prayed and hoped for the best. That weekend, uh, she actually started to bleed, and we thought for sure that she was going to lose the baby. She went to the emergency room. She saw the heartbeat, and she was so thankful to get to see the heartbeat of that baby. She told me later that if that was all that had been accomplished, uh, it would have been worth it to take that progesterone shot just so she could see her her baby's heartbeat and know that she had done everything she could. But uh, thank God she went home and uh, stopped bleeding. She came back in Monday. She she got another progesterone shot and kept coming in twice a week uh, for progesterone shots. Uh, and she was so thankful, so excited about uh, 17 weeks into the pregnancy. She had a, uh, an ultrasound. Everything looked completely normal. She was able to come off the progesterone shots at about 28 weeks of pregnancy. And right on time, around 40 weeks, uh, she delivered a healthy little girl named Kaylee. Uh, the placenta was normal. The baby was normal. And I've seen, I've seen little Kaylee. Uh, throughout the years. Kaylee now is six years old. Uh, she's a cheerleader. She uh, is doing great. She's in first grade, just a great, spunky little kid. And uh, Ashley is doing fantastic. She went to school. She got a respiratory therapist uh, certification. She is now a respiratory therapist at the uh, Children's Hospital here in Charlotte, saving little babies' lives herself. And uh, she's getting ready to go to nursing school uh, coming up next semester. That is just a beautiful story. Uh, this, this, you know, I, I, I had watched and read another story just this week about moms who keep their babies. And they said no one ever regrets um, keeping their baby or giving life, or giving birth, even if they do adopt their children away, 
they don't regret having had the child. Um, and it is a lie when people tell them your life is over, this is, this is going to be the worst thing ever if you have this child, as if, as if everybody, as if the mother herself is just going to die if the baby is born. And I believe that is such a, you know, we do such a disservice to women when when people tell them that, because they're at a vulnerable point in their lives. They're they're liable to believe a lot of things that are not true at that point. But telling women that they, there is there are ways we can live that everybody can live, first of all, and that life is not over. That there's a future for everyone involved, I think is the most empowering thing that we can tell women, yet that mm-hmm. just that simple encouragement is often deprived. Women are deprived of hearing that, and that is so sad to me. Do you know that's since, why Ashley that, as I say that's why Ashley and Kaylee are going to be such a strong witness, powerful witness to this because you know they're going to be able to tell other moms, other teenagers, other college students, anyone, say, listen, this is not the end of the world. This is the beginning. You know, there's a great life ahead, and uh, there is hope uh, in, in, in making the right choice. And mm-hmm. what's exciting now is that uh, Dr. George Delgado and, and Dr. Mary Davenport out in San Diego have taken the protocol, and they've taken, uh, since that time, about uh, 10 other uh, doctors have used this protocol to save uh, babies, and now they've published it in, la- in last December's uh, Annals of Pharmacology, uh, published the protocol, and now they have a website, www.abortionpillreversal.com, and anyone can go to that website, get the information, how the protocol works. Doctors can go there. They can print off uh, forms, uh, consent forms for their patients. And uh, right now, I talked to them in San Diego just the other day, and right now they have between 27 and 32 women on uh, treatment uh, to save their babies. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. What is what is this mean for the, um, the future of, of health care as it relates to uh, women and abortion and um, what the services that we can offer them now to help when they do change their mind. Well, um, it certainly gives people an op- option for treatment. They used to think that there was nothing that could be done, um, especially that early in a pregnancy. All the okay. RU46 uh, treatments are supposed to be done before eight weeks of pregnancy. I'm sure that a lot of the abortion clinics fudge that data, but um, but this gives uh, other doctors and even abortion providers, if they choose, to uh, have reversal, um, the ability to revo- reverse the abortion process on these wow. chemical abortions. Um, that is so amazing. Um, and did you, did you mention how many, because weren't you contacted by a group that um, some had uh, also had successful reversals? Right, so there's been 10 known successful reversals. The babies are doing fine. And then, like I said, there's 20, between 27 and 32 women that are currently taking the treatment. And their babies so far have not been born yet, but they're uh, so far are doing okay. 
in the pregnancy. Right. That is, that is to God be the glory. Um, and Absolutely. Just that, that is, you know, the, the fact that um, we have people in the medical community who do care, truly care about women. Um, I think, as you pointed out earlier, the treatment that Ashley received at the abortion clinic versus um, the care that she got at your at your at your medical practice um, of really trying to honor um, her her life and her child's life. Um, I think that that is uh, another example of why we do actually we we are pro woman. We we don't hate women and we don't want to deny women health care and we don't want to um, you know deny them any rights, but we love them and we love their babies, and so that's all we do what we do. And so this is just another example, Dr. Harrison, and um, thank you for your willingness to, um, even when you didn't know if you could help, just being open to, to trying um, and, you know, for God using you in that way because um, this is this could really be um, very monumental for a lot of people. Well, what I really encourage other medical providers to do, doctors, nurses, mid-level providers, midwives, and, and even just the common person is that whenever they come across a situation, don't just assume the worst. Just don't assume that nothing Why? can be done. You know, when someone comes into the emergency room shot in the chest, you know, the ER doctors don't just stand back and say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. They do what they can to save, to save that person, and I think that's the attitude we need to have to save uh, the babies as well. Because the babies are worth it, absolutely worth it. And so, um, again, we um, we want to thank you, Dr. Harrison, for um, your work um, in the um, in the uh, medical field and saving lives, and for your work on the sidewalk, um, reaching out to women and to your family. Um, and we thank you so much for sharing your story. And we'll post um, a link to the um, story from Lifesite News about. Um, the reversal um, of the RE46 by Dr. Harrison for those who want to read more. Um, and it could be a resource, you know, down the road, you know, for those of us who may come into contact with someone in the situation that Ashley found herself in. Um, but I do, I thank you so much. I know you're busy and you're you're headed to, to missions, to missions uh, medical missions trip. Is that right, Dr. Harrison? Yes, uh, heading out December 30th to... Uh Vietnam to some leper colonies up in the mountains. So really excited and privileged to get to do that, and I look forward to a big blessing uh, getting to meet those folks. Well, we'll be praying for you and praying for Ashley as she shares her testimony at the youth rally at the March for Life and for little Kaylee. And um, thank you for being open and sharing sharing the story. And I'm thankful for her being open to share to, to share her story as well. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Dr. Harrison. Okay, bye-bye. And we are going to take a quick break here and come right back with our next guest. Hang in there if you have a question. Please dial 760-542-3907. You're listening to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Side by side, don't matter. 
short break and that is a short break <laughs> welcome back to pro-life fridays radio everybody i'm on the line with my dear friends and co-host melissa palu and thomas smith i know you are still there i see you and with us online um is our second guest for the show uh, i am so um i was just so floored by what has happened with our guest um, here and Thomas has asked me to take over his portion of the interview because I think he is uh, he's right now he's running around I think and so he <laughs> um, asked me to take this interview and I guess I'm going to fly by my the seat of my pants for once and welcome to the program uh, former high school teacher still a high school teacher I hope in heart and soul and in reality of everyday life Mr. Bill Diss. Mr. Diss, welcome to the Pro Life Fridays radio program. Well, welcome. It's it's great to be here. I am so glad that you're here. Um, let me give our catch up our audience with what has um, what has been your story so far. Now, your story has been on uh, on lots of uh, local media as well as LifeSite News has picked up your story, and you were on Fox and Friends this morning, were you not? Yes, I was on Fox and Friends early this morning. Um, I had a, a, they picked me up in a limousine around uh, uh, 3:45 this morning. So, it was wow. a long day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm I agree. But, yeah, getting picked up by a limo is not too shabby either. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Even no, if that's it is nice. Yeah. Kind of so early in the morning, it's still really night at time, uh, and at least it yeah. is for me. Uh, <laughs> um, so. The background on your story is you had you have been a pro-life member of the community for many years, and That's one true. day during one of your just a, a day of school, you were told that Planned Parenthood had sent some representatives to come teach something, and you can tell us what that something is in your classroom during the school day, and well, what has happened. But- Okay. Well, let's back up. Go ahead. Have to back up a little bit. Uh, well, one thing first. Thing, first of all, I was never told it was Planned Parenthood. I was told some um, uh, that Austin Lee from a group called Teenage Outreach Program was going to be coming uh, to recruit students, and then it turned out he was from Planned Parenthood, and so was another fellow he brought along with him. So, and okay. I was shocked to say the least. So, so the story is they were going to recruit students during class time for what? Uh, for two things. One is uh, the students were able to, instead of uh, getting you know help in their subjects or spending time to do research on projects, uh, Planned Parenthood would take them into a classroom to do little games with them and to to discuss fantasies with them. Um, you know, go over uh, contraceptives with them and uh, all sorts of other items. And secondly, um, if the 
children were able to get their parents' signature, they were able to go off uh, to after-school programs with Planned Parenthood. And uh, I only mentioned two things. There's actually three. Then if the students were, uh, were amenable to take surveys about their sexual preferences or sexual past, sexual fantasies, and that sort of, of items, uh, then Planned Parenthood would actually give them $30. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, and this, and this, you you knew that this was the, this is what they were there for that day. Yes. Well, when they well when they came that day, I found out that's what they were there for. I mean, beforehand, I had no idea what they were there for. I mean, teenage outreach program can mean almost anything, and I sure. I had no idea that it was really uh, a special program by Planned Parenthood. I learned that quickly on September seventeenth. Um, the other thing that happened on that day was that I asked for um, handouts for what they were giving to the students, and Planned Parenthood was very apprehensive about giving me some. And I said, you know, look, uh, I said, I'm the teacher. I have to know what you're handing out. And he says, well, we can't afford it. And I said, you know, you're a billion-dollar corporation. You can give me a handout. <laughs> and then I found out why they were apprehensive about giving me a form. One of the forms that Benson High School and Planned Parenthood put together stated on the top that I was in favor of Planned Parenthood and this program. So they were trying to use my name um, to help recruit students because I had done a lot of work in the community for 11 years, not just with the school, but I had been active in various uh, churches, um, helping parents with businesses, um, different community events. I had uh, worked for reduce gang violence. So I've been quite active, so I believe they were, um, I think it was really fraud, at the very least, defamation of character, that they were trying to use my name. So they were aware of you. Do you feel like they were targeting you in particular? Most definitely. In fact, um, um, a few years before, Planned Parenthood tried to get my teacher's license removed. Uh, Planned Parenthood also... Planned Parenthood also used my name and my association of Benson High School on a big fundraising drive. Uh, so, yes, they definitely hmm. were targeting me. And the fellow who wrote the complaint to the school in 2012 um, to have me disciplined was the same one who wrote the complaint to the Teacher Standard and Practices Commission. That's the licensing organization in Oregon to get my teacher's license removed in 2008. Um, that took a long time, most of 2009, to fight that. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we won that one. Um, the other thing, as long as we're moving back a bit, um, in 2007 and in 2005 and in 2003, I received evaluations that were all good. In fact, the 2007, every single comment was positive in all ten areas of evaluation. And I mm-hmm. received seven yeah. commendations for exceeding expectations. And then in 2007, um, you know, this district found out that I was working with pastors in northeast Portland and also uh, uh, Imam Muhammad Najib of of the mosque up there to stop Planned Parenthood from building a large center. And Mm -hmm. uh, everything changed almost overnight. So we're evaluated every two years. So in 2009, when my evaluation came up, 
All ten of the areas were extremely negative comments, and I received huh. no commendations, and I received 14 marks of being um, uh, below average. So out of uh, around 30 areas of marking from being, um, you know, getting uh, seven, seven exceeding and all the rest meeting, meeting or exceeding, I, I ended up getting 14 that I was not exceeding. So worked with the union really hard and a couple different lawyers on, on getting that one thrown out. So um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was difficult. And then even moving back before then in 2008, um, a new principal came along and she started to question me on my uh, outside act- activities um, that I was doing um, you know, in regards to purity of life. Um, right, right. And she she even questioned me about well, what I was saying in church. Um, there was three hearings on what I did on a day off from school. So it was pretty um, it was pretty ridiculous. So, um, and then I, then I had to find a lawyer to do that. And I wasn't from the Portland area, so it was very difficult to find, um, you know, to find lawyers and things okay. of that sort, but, you know, different different friends helped me out there. Um, right. The right. other thing to point out is that, uh, you know, before 2007 and even after, I've received hundreds of letters from colleagues and from uh, students and from parents um, who are just very, very, you know, happy with, um, you know, my, my work. Um, I just received one the other day. And um, mm-hmm. hold on, just a minute. Right. And, and in fact, we have put on uh, on a note on our Facebook page for Pro Life Fridays Radio. Um, if you go on to our Facebook page to find that, we have put your credentials up and also some photos that you had sent us of you and your students. And I mean, your right. accomplishments are very clearly seen in your record. <laughs> Your positive, yes, yes. your very positive record, and so I think, without a doubt, I think you've gotten railroaded from your position as a teacher. And I really want to ask you a little bit about that in particular. I mean, what was okay. the official? Tell us what was the official reason for removing you, other than you didn't like Planned Parenthood when they tried to come into your classroom unwanted. I mean, and I picked that word very specifically to say unwanted. <laughs> Um, hold on, I'll read the, the turf statement the, um, that the district gave. Um, well, here it is. In a statement from... Uh, Portland Public Schools spokesperson Christine Miles, Mr. Disk said his termination was based on his religious beliefs and his right to free speech, which I think it definitely was. But they go on and say this is not the case. The school district takes discipline of all employees seriously. Mr. Disk's conduct and performance led to his removal from the classroom and termination. So, so they. Well, that is about as vague as vague can get. It is uh, now. <laughs> Oh, in the um, if you would ask them about some conduct, which they won't say, but 
what's what's been written down um, is how one of the one of the examples uh, was that I used the student's name on a test, and uh, teachers commonly do that to get interest in that. Uh, I used the student's name on a Pythagorean theorem problem. Uh, I don't know how many of the listeners remember the Pythagorean theorem, but uh, you use it for right triangles, and you can use it to figure out a length of a leg or hypotenuse. And when I was in geometry back in 1972, the teacher did that, and I, we had a lot of fun with it. But basically, you know, there's a student in a window, the burning, the building's burning, and, you know, you, you want to see if your ladder's long enough. So um, um, that was one thing they uh, um, that I was... Uh, in fact, that was the last thing I was disciplined for. And in uh, March of um, 2013, the principal, vice principal, a director of human resources, and the Portland police officer came to remove me from my class just to show they were tough. Um, so that was the idea of, um, of conduct and performance. Um, so uh, well, basically, they, you know, I don't uh, see... I don't see any provocation for this, other than that you were that the administration took it upon themselves to flex its muscle and bully you around a little bit. Um, Almost that definitely. They're, they're, uh, right, yeah, and I don't see any cause for it, I mean, any provocation on your part to to bring. The, I mean, there was not a there was not an argument that kind of escalated out of control. It just, just seems like this came. Uh-huh you um, out of some, you know, it originated not from you, but from other people. It did, and um, just to, you know, uh, a short um, synopsis of it all, I mean, for two years the district tried to uh, go after me for my outside activities. Um, Mm -hmm. They even wrote a letter and, and in a hearing told me that I could not even say I was a teacher because they were afraid to, that if I said I was a teacher, then people might ask, where do you teach? Um, and the teacher the, and the district kept saying, well, people, uh, the, the city's going to get the view that, you know, that we might, that uh, your views or our views, in other words, my views for life and purity would be the district's, which I don't think would be that bad. But um, the, uh, the people in the city know that the Portland Public Schools is a huge Entity, um, you know, they have a over a billion dollar budget. Uh, uh, they have um, uh, sixty five hundred employees, forty five thousand students. So uh, they have a spokesperson for all sorts of areas. So people knew that I was a, you know, a shop teacher and a math teacher. Um, so that, that was ridiculous. So when that didn't work for two years, for the next two years after that, they. They tried to put me on a plan of assistance to get me a poor evaluation, and we got that thrown out. But then a new principal came in, and she was extremely aggressive in trying to uh, get rid of me. Um, and uh, I certainly believe I was set up with the Planned Parenthood people. And uh, then this, the past school year, the 2012-2013 school year, I was subjected to nearly 40 observations by either the principal, vice principal, or a director of human resources, or even Planned Parenthood managers. Um, and that's just um, pure harassment. Uh, most teachers are during the 
excuse me, evaluation, you are observed once, sometimes twice, but, you know, nearly 40 times is, is certainly unprecedented. Mm, and then for right. the, the union representative who who's worked for Portland for a long time and then worked in Chicago before that, uh, when she was um, uh, cross-examined, um, she did not know of any other teacher who had ever been observed that many times, nor did she know of any teacher who had been suspended for um, uh, using a student's name in a test. Um, or had she ever heard of a teacher who had, where an outside organization and the district had used the, the, the teacher's name without the teacher's permission to help recruit, uh, nor had she heard of a teacher getting reprimanded for um, um, saying that they were offended by some statements made in a, in a diversity talk. Um, mm -hmm. And the, li the list went on and on. So, yeah, that would be my next question. How did you, did you receive any assistance from the teachers' union um, in, in your case? Well, most definitely. And that, that's the nice thing to point out here. You know, um, sometimes, you know, people are there, union this, uh, uh, administration this, and what have you, and somewhere in between the two extremes is the truth. But um, a couple things to clarify for the listeners. Number one, it is, it is really, really, it is easy for administration um, in most districts to get rid of a teacher. Okay, yeah, it is easy. So, with that being said, um, the administration was was trying extremely hard in 2007 to get rid of me. And if it had not been for the union and some outside help from other attorneys, I think I would have been dismissed. But uh, let me give you an example of just how good the, the union uh, uh, representative was. In fact, this one lady, she doesn't want me to use her name in private. She's just a very humble, hardworking person. But she started to help me in April of 2007. And, you know, up to uh, a month ago when we had a hearing, she testified in the hearing. So she's been working with me for over six years. But I mentioned earlier in our interview that in in 2008, I was um, brought before the district, um, uh, well, district attorney, that sounds funny, but an attorney from the district and the principal uh, and questioned uh, in depth about what happened at a, a, at a pro-life rally and prayer vigil on President's Day, which um, had nothing to do with school. It was an official day off, and, and I didn't have to answer any questions, which is what I told the principal. I said, you know, that was my day off. I don't have to answer questions. And she just kept uh, harassing me. I was to the point of tears, and I just kept saying, you know, please, please leave me alone. You know, that was a day off. Um, I don't have to, um, you know, answer your questions. And then she kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And finally I said, please, could you stop? I said, you know, next you'll be wanting to know what I tell my priest in confession. And she's there, well, that's different. And the union lady stood up, right? She goes, no, it's not. In one case, it's freedom of religion. In the other case, it's freedom of speech. You have no right to, to find out what he's doing in, in, in either case. And um, so that ended everything for the 2008 year. Um, and, uh, uh, so that, that quit all the hearings and getting pulled out of class, having to get substitutes and, and things of that sort. Um, 
And but then in 2009, like I mentioned earlier, 2008, 2009, then they start to go after me for um, uh, my my teaching performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 that they had quite a few false statements. In 2009, for example, he said, uh, the principal said, you know, I, I did not work on my professional development as required. And I was required to have 125 PDUs, that's called professional development units, and I actually took 1,200 units in the five-year period. Uh, so I had almost 1,000% more PDUs. He said I didn't communicate with parents. I had over 1,000 letters back and forth, signed letters, uh, which I gave to parents about, uh, um, the, you know, the course descriptions, uh, grade sheets, and tests. Uh, the principal also said, um, what was another item? Um, oh, that I, I didn't have any school spirit, and people couldn't believe that. I um, I would wear orange wow. and blue ties. I would go to um, um, games, uh, and mainly games of not just the varsity games, but games of the freshmen. And I'd go to swim uh-huh. meets and track meets and, and uh, wrestling meets, you know, where most people would go, like, to the big football games and basketball games. Right. So, in fact, your your um, your your listeners can go to YouTube and go look up Mr. Dis Benson, and they can see me doing a, uh, what was a popular dance in 2007 for the <laughs> assembly. Uh, I did not. I did not win that day. Um, with three other teachers, but uh, uh, the, cl- the I sure got the loudest uh, response from the crowd. So, and uh, I guess along along with that, um, even when all this uh, harassment was going on, I tried to continually mitigate mitigate things. For example, on the form where Benson and Planned Parenthood said that I uh, that I supported Planned Parenthood in their program, it was written on the Vietnamese form. And uh, I went to the different different uh, entities in the Vietnamese community to try to mitigate that. I don't know if I'll be able to ever clear my name with the Vietnamese community to say that I was not for uh, for abortion and the promiscuity training that Planned Parenthood brought. Um, another item that I tried to mitigate was to I asked the principal twice if I could please be excused from being in the classroom while Planned Parenthood did their recruiting and talked about their program, and I was denied that religious accommodation. And that was very distressful because I'm a, um, a faithful Catholic, not not perfect, but I, I do love my faith. I, I, I attend Mass um, daily, and I do a lot of work in the Catholic community um, in, in all sorts of areas, you know, with teaching students. I've worked for Habitat for... Humanity, I've mentioned earlier, I've, I've done walking in the parks to stop gang violence. I've, I've helped out, um, you know, in, um, uh, in a lot of clothing drives, blanket drives, coat drives. I work for the Knights of Columbus, which is a charitable organization. But I also um, um, have done a consecration to the, uh, blessed, to the Blessed Mother. And mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood, uh, which probably some people who follow Planned Parenthood, you know, constantly attacks the Catholic faith and especially mock the Blessed Mother. Um, in one of their publications, they have the the uh, an image of the Blessed Mother and kind of inferring, she says, what, me worry? And 
and you know, and inferring that she's going to be doing, um, you know, an abortion on the Christ child. So here you have probably the group uh, sure. in the entire world that might be a little bit of an overstatement, who is probably more offensive to the Catholic Church than any other entity, and that I that I'd have to work along with them. Could you imagine an anti-Muslim group um, and a, and a Muslim teacher asking to be uh, excused? Um, uh, I mean, they would have they would have excused the the person, or uh, well, you know, or, or a, a Quaker, um, you know, a faithful Quaker probably would have been able to be excused from, uh, um, you know, the military coming in to uh, recruit students. So um, right, um, and, and they so, they de- denied that, and not only did they deny that, but once they saw that it that I was really hurt by it, then they um, then they really started to even give me more more scrutiny. So it was a mm. tough year. Um, I rarely have to go to the doctor. I ended up going to the doctor, um, you know, three times, three or four times last year. Once I I was called to go in because uh, for an EKG. Um, so it was a, it was an extremely difficult year. Hey, Bill, this is Thomas. I want to jump in here for a minute. Um, oh, well, thank you. Here's, let's get let's get down to the nitty gritty because you're a fighter and and we know this and you follow you follow procedure everything you were supposed to do from the get go you did everything that you were supposed to do but I want you to share with the listeners something that you shared with me yesterday on the phone when you told me. When Planned Parenthood specifically started coming out after you, and particularly that they did not start coming after you until you moved to a particular of the Portland School District, would you share that with the listeners? I shall, and I, I had a hard time hearing some of your question, but uh, as I told Thomas yesterday, in um, in the early 90s, I started to become much more active in the pro-life movement, and it was mainly on the west side of town, which is uh, predominantly um, a white white part of town. And where my school is located in uh, near the downtown Portland, in the inner city, which is more of uh, has more uh, you know more blacks and Asians and Hispanics, especially northeast portion of. Uh, uh, Portland has more blacks, and once I started to work with the black pastors and uh, this Muslim community, which was predominantly a black a Muslim community uh, from Somalia, is where a lot of the people were from, um, then Planned Parenthood and the school district uh, got very upset, um, and, and I looked at that as just extremely uh, racist um, uh, agenda because... Uh, they were put, they were going to take the Planned Parenthood headquarters out of an area that was six percent black, and putting it into a neighborhood that was forty four percent black, and the whole entirety of Portland is only about six percent black. So basically, the area of Portland almost had eight times the con- con- uh, concentration of blacks as the metropolitan area. Um, when uh, I was testifying 
to the Urban Renewal Agency in March and in April of 2007, um, I was one of the few white people there along with the black the black clergy uh, because they were very upset with it. They were going to build this center, which unfortunately they did right by um, a mosque, and it was catty corner from another um, Baptist church that was predominantly a black black population. And it was just a few blocks from a, a, another, uh, well, actually quite a few churches in the area were black churches. There was a lot of Church of God in Christ uh, churches, and where they actually had me speak at one of their ward conventions. So, um, yeah, I, I find that very interesting, and that's when Planned Parenthood um, got aggressive. And, and also, um, you're into the into the protest and exposing Planned Parenthood, um, that's when Planned Parenthood went after my teacher's license. Again, I knew they, they knew they right. were going to lose, right. but the thing is, is that all that takes time. And just like the school district, um, you know, they sent various lawyers after me, various district administrators after me, various principals after me. And I think we'll win this one also, but it, um, again, it's just... Uh, it takes it, t- it takes an enormous amount of time and energy, and most people right. um, just don't don't want to do it. But the union has provided very good legal help, and I also want the listeners to know that Life Legal Defense Fund um, is also helping out, and they've provided a very good attorney. Oh, very so, nice. That's good let to me, hear. Let me ask yeah, one more. Something that it... Let okay. me ask one more question. Just one more question. Out of all the principals that went out to you, were any of them black? Uh, definitely not. Um, all the principals who went after me were um, were uh, they were white. Um, um, and uh, in in terms of um, in terms of color, actually, at the hearing we had last month, the teacher who came and testified for me was a black man. He was also an engineer, like I was at Intel. Um, you know, before we quit engineering to go work and teaching. And he was quite articulate about my ability and right. uh, both my teaching ability and my, my methods. So, um, um, no, that's un, that, that was un, un, unfortunate. So. The reason why I asked that question specifically, because if your legal team, chooses to um, chooses to go that angle because of the relationship that you have with your students, the vast majority of them who are black, right? you can actually hammer the Portland School District for blatant racism. I mean, you have a specific legal question that you could that you could back them into such a tight corner by asking this question of them in Planned Parenthood. Why did you not come after me when I was doing my pro-life, uh, pro-life work in the white areas of Portland? And, well, I'm and glad you mentioned that, yes. Mm. So. Pursue that angle because you've got a major case. And just know that we here at Pro Life Fridays Radio, we we will be willing to help push that angle because that's blatantly obvious what it is. Letitia I appreciate posted, that. Not a problem. Letitia posted the pictures 
of you with your students with um, AC Green on our Facebook page. And when I looked at the pictures, I'm like, look at look at his students, how they just gravitated to you and how they just loved on you. So you have a major case there. So I I encourage you to pursue the race the racism angle because it that's that's obvious what it was. So. I shall do that. Thank you. Thank you. So. Um, yeah, and, and Thomas makes a he, he raises a very astute he makes a very astute point um, that the selectivity at the very least the selectivity has to be questioned. Now, when you yes. now, I mean, this leads to the other part of you know what where Thomas was leading, um, which is the the nature of the relationship between the school administrators and Planned Parenthood. Now, obviously, this was Planned Parenthood being an outside group was able to uh, affect your termination as a teacher, but they had to go through the school administration, which has you know, always been, it seemed like, very antagonistic towards you when they found out about your personal beliefs. Now, I, you know, this is in more ways than one. There's a racial aspect, a discriminatory aspect, the free speech aspect, and just the overall invasiveness of crossing, you know, crossing boundaries. If, if you want to make this a separation of, of church and state issue, I could, you could also go that angle. You could throw it all in. I, I, would, I right. would actually like to see that, that they have actually encroached on your personal belief, uh, breaching the separation of church and state in that way. I want to know, go back to my question, what was the relationship between Planned Parenthood and the school administration? Well, it was very, very close. Um, one, of the, one of the letters um, that uh, Planned Parenthood uh, employee wrote, um, let, me, uh, let me bring that up here. Um, I'm not going to re- read all of it on the air, but um, um, they were on a first-name basis. Um, for, uh, the follow from Planned Parenthood writes, Carol, you know, not uh, Dear Miss Campbell or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then at the end, um, uh, he says, please consider this email precursor to a formal and detailed written complaint by Planned Parenthood, the Columbia Allowment involving activity of Mr. Dis, which has had the effect of almost complete disruption of an approved program, which which it didn't. The program went on. Um, they were upset that I just wanted. What he was upset with was two things. One is I asked the Planned Parent employees to <laughs> to tell the students where they worked, and they wouldn't do that. Uh, hmm. I, in all 11 years of Benson, I had never, never, never uh, been with a group uh, from any organization or any business where the employees or the representative of an organization did not have to state their name and did not have to state where they worked. I thought that was so misleading for the students. Oh, um, absolutely. Right, right. You can't. And, uh, I mean, you couldn't do that in any other in any private institution. You could not do that in a workplace, right, where you right. know, even if it's yeah. not a public taxpayer-funded entity, you cannot simply the you know whoever's in charge can't simply invite 
sell some group in without identifying who they are. I think that would be a gross um, abuse of of their power. Oh, right, right. Now, and then secondly, on your question, American Life League, which uh, probably a lot of your listeners uh, are aware of, a very, very fine organization in Virginia mm-hmm. who, who helps um, uh, really around the country, if not the world, helping people with purity and life issues. But um, they did a they did just a very quick scan of the board members of Portland Public School, and quite a few of them are involved in anti-life activities. One of them is on the board uh, with the Planned Parenthood, a uh, uh, president um, on the uh, you know on a, uh, uh, in favor of a euthanasia um, activity. I think you know that Oregon was the first place in the whole world that allowed. Um, uh, doctors to kill uh, patients, and uh, the, the one of the board members and the Planned Parenthood member are are both on that board. Um, and different members of the board are very much in favor of Planned Parenthood. Uh, they, they've said that in in public. Um, so, um, as a lot of teachers said, a lot who didn't even agree with my stance, you know, said mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't really stand a chance, you know. Because most of the board members and the and the and the past principal certainly uh, is, certainly is my belief that they were much that they they were very in favor of uh, of Planned Parenthood and um, you know they've spoken in favor of Planned Parenthood beforehand. Um, the print the principal did get a promotion after she got rid of me. I I don't know if those were if those were related or not, but, uh, you know, she was able to go to another school that, uh, you know, in, in the, in the district that, um, um, is in a, um, well, it's just seen as, is kind of a, one of the premier schools in the district. So. Okay. Um, where, so where do you go from here? It, it seems very clear that, they they simply wanted the most expedient way to dismiss you, and this, this kind of came in long and long and coming that somebody was after your job for a while. And but well, where do you go from there? Are you are you fighting to regain your job, or are you simply making this a case so that we can learn from it and to get some justice out of this? Well, those are both both uh, two two good questions. One is you know if the you know, all by the grace of God. Uh, uh, you know, as, as many have said throughout the throughout the hundreds of years of history. Um, uh, yes, one, we are, we're certainly going to still fight uh, for my rights. Um, there's still a, a couple paths within the within um, the contract for a public school teacher to pursue, and then mm-hmm. depending on that, then we'll go ahead and um, you know look at other. Um, um there there's other um federal federal laws that are there to protect me and and we'll actually start start looking at those laws and um i think at the very worst if i end up not getting back i think it it will be helpful for for people um to know especially in cities that um, where where planned parent and the school district are working close together that teachers, um, the teachers who um, you know practice some long-held religious beliefs on the the, this, the uh, 
the sanctity and holiness, um, you know, of marriage and sexuality and the sanctity mm-hmm. of human life that that their um, their jobs um, could be in danger. Or as Thomas mentioned, for people who speak out, um, you know, for for races, especially um, when across the country, and people can look at this, whenever they put in these clinics within schools, there, there usually are in, in in schools that have high minority um, areas, which is sad. Um, so, um, you know, it will be good for teachers to, to watch for things. Um, and uh, the positive things that are already out, even though it's, it looks pretty negative in a lot of ways, is that um, if teachers do utilize their unions and do utilize, uh, and, if, and if they don't have a union, uh, utilize some legal help to um, to fight the district, then it then they can usually at least um, gain some time. Um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to kill Goliath, but David did do that. And one thing I like to always refer people to. Um, um, you know, there's a lot of believers of the word, um, you know, listening. And and in the book of Acts, I believe it's um, chapter 22, but uh, St. Paul's about to get flogged, and he says, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen? And they stopped. And um, we, all of the citizens in the country are citizens. And mm-hmm. we have a right to the First Amendment, which gives us a right for freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And when someone tries to bully that, and when we haven't done anything illegal or immoral, we, we do need to speak up, because otherwise employers, uh, especially employers that are working quite closely with Planned Parenthood, are going to um, go go after the person. Another good thing I want you know the listeners to know who are working is that you know, Planned Parenthood um, kills, their their rate now is around a million babies every three years. Um, you know, that was about the rate that um, Hitler killed killed the Jews and people who who um, who protested him. Um, mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood has no qualms about going after anyone for, for, for anything, and, and they do not mind lying. And again, one of my favorite quotes from the word as I think it just explains the situation so much and it's John 10:10 10, 10. it's an easy one to remember because the chapter and verse are the same where Jesus is talking about the evil one he says he's come to kill steal and destroy but I've come to bring you life and bring it more abundantly so whenever an issue comes up that involves life um and uh, or or something involves destruction, then then uh, you know where to go to, and you know, and you know who's worked on your behalf. You know that Christ is your advocate if you're working for life and purity, and the devil's the advocate working um, on the um, for the impurity and for death. Absolutely, um, I wanted to. I wish you the best because, and we'll certainly keep following the story that you have going on ahead. Now, I mean, this this just took place. Am I not correct? Just this past uh, uh, Monday. This Monday, I uh, Monday, I was finally uh, fired. Um, 
the board okay. voted six to one um, and to to vote to dismiss me. They they put my uh, my issue along with others uh, uh, for voting for solar panels and that sort of stuff. And one of the board members didn't realize it at first that he was voting against me, and so so then they revoted again. And um, um, the the board members first um, counted incorrectly, but then they um, but then he did get it right. So so it was six to one. Wow. So. Um... And if any of you didn't catch that, I, you have to read the article about the um, about his firing that I have. I put it up on our chat room, the link to our uh, link to the article that that discusses that. And that's that you, the vote to terminate you was lumped in with a vote to approve so, solar panels or something like that. And other things, <laughs> right? And quite and a few other things. things. I think there was like twenty resolutions that they considered wow. all together. So, mm-hmm. so they didn't simply just deal with your termination. They went to sweep you under the rug, and, you know, and, and they just included exactly. that right. along with other things. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you have a fantastic case on the merits alone for winning, you know, getting some justice out of this. Because clearly, clearly the administrators and the school board officials have mistreated you terribly and based on prejudice. And not only doing you a dis- an injustice, but all of your students and the pro-life work. And you know, I, let me just tell this to our audience and who may not think that th- this type of prejudice exists. It does. And I mean, as much as we would like to think, oh, people would be a little more objective than that, sometimes they are not. They are very much prejudiced against those who have pro-life views who work in the public school system. And so, yeah, how do, we, how do future teachers who have pro-life convictions protect themselves, you know, going forward from this? You know, what have you learned? I mean, not that I would say that you would change anything about what you did, because I don't think you did anything wrong. But what, what could other teachers do um, in response to that, if anything? Boy, that, that's a tough one. You know, every situation is a bit different, but... Um... Um, you know, you have to act on a well-informed conscience, and and mm-hmm. sometimes when you're acting on a well-informed conscience, your work's going to be public. And when yeah. it's public, um, then, yeah. then I think some teachers are going to, you know, um, you know, get get called on the carpet for it, which is which is unfortunate. Uh, sometimes they, some people won't won't care, but uh, um, they, they won't, and I. Uh, so I, I think you said it so well. Is sometimes there's something you can't do, and um, you, you know you can't be silent uh, on mm-hmm. some things. And many times, um, you know, the only way to do something is to speak out. Is to speak out in in public, and and that's will put put you in, in jeopardy on certain positions. So, what's interesting is that history repeats itself, and that my grandmother had to go through this um, uh, 90 years ago in the 1920s. Um, she was a Scottish Presbyterian, and she was going out with my grandfather. Um, they were just dating at the time, and he was a Catholic. And uh, in the, and uh, if most your, I think most your listeners know, but the, in the 20s, the Klan was quite active uh, in, the, uh, in most of the states in our union. And uh, certainly that was the case in eastern Colorado. 
and they had her fired, and she worked really hard to get back, and she finally mm. did get back to teaching in the 1930s and taught uh, another, uh, you know, three generations of students. So she re- she wow. retired in well, 1950. Yeah. Well, I hope, and I know that I can speak for the rest of the hosts on Public Friday's radio, that what, you know, even if you don't get your position back with the school district, that God will provide you with something bigger and better. I know that he well, already I has this exposure, yeah. um, but we wish you the best. We will keep following you on the story, and I definitely want to have you back again uh, when, you know, if anything ever changes about to your case and, and to reveal some more about it. But we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for coming on Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Well, well, thank you, and and also, and I'd like to thank uh, your uh, your co-host uh, Thomas there for getting getting in touch with me. So God bless all of you, and yes, have a very said a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Bill. This everybody, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. And with the time we have left, I'm going to give you one. I know we promised twelve, but one stupidest thing ever, and that is this week. It's the flannel onesie guy for Obamacare. Uh, I cannot uh, tell you my shock when I saw the. If you haven't seen the flannel onesie guy, you need to see the flannel onesie guy. Because uh, he, what he looks like he's wearing is something my three-year-old, my, my children stopped wearing when they were three years old. And somehow it's become some kind of cool thing for people to wear this. I, I have no idea. This is probably out in left field. And this comes from a trail of car wreck worthy pro Obamacare ads that I cannot even describe any better or worse than they are parodies of themselves. So that is the stupidest thing ever. Um, And the only redeeming quality about those is that somebody photoshopped the head of our Vice President Joe Biden right over the head of the person that's really in it. Now that's pretty smart. So that's the stupidest thing ever today. Everybody have a great and merry, wonderful, awesome, Christ-filled Christmas. I'm going to end the show today with some Christmas music. And be back next week. We are still going to have a broadcast next week. It's going to be awesome because we are going to have our 12 stupidest things ever. Do or die time, that's what we're going to have. Good night, everybody. Have a great and wonderful Merry Christmas.